You're listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast from Judicial Watch. I'm Chris Farrell, and this is On Watch. Welcome to On Watch, everybody, the Judicial Watch podcast, where we go behind the headlines and delve deep into stories that are really receive less coverage than they should from the mainstream media. We like to recover lost history and explain the inexplicable. We like to uh, have a great opportunity like we do today to talk to Ms. Tara Lee Rodas, who uh, you may recall about a couple of months ago in late April, testified before the House uh, Judiciary Subcommittee on Immigration, Integrity, Security, and Enforcement. And she very bravely told some shocking, horrifying stories of her experiences concerning the exploitation of unaccompanied alien children. So uh, before we go any further, I'd like to also remind you to, whether you're watching us on YouTube or whether you're watching this pod, listen to this podcast on Spotify or one of the other platforms out there, please be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. We love to hear from you. We want to know what you think about our podcast and what we're doing how we try to get a hold of people and, and it really do in-depth interviews to help inform you about the operations of government. So you understand Judicial Watch's work and how we're trying to get information out to the public. That's what we're shooting for. So uh, along those uh, lines, we are very pleased today to be joined by Tara Lee Rodas, uh, who has come forward. She's blown the whistle. She's uh, observed stuff very, very disturbing uh, concerning unaccompanied children coming across the border. And so uh, let's please welcome Tara to the show. Welcome. Chris, thank you so much for having me on and for shining a light on what we now know is government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded child trafficking. It's, you've got, it's simply you've got some horrific. You've got some horrific examples and stories to tell. We're going to get to them. I think, as we were discussing just briefly before we started the show, everything that you're talking about has been highlighted and compounded by the recent release of the movie Sound of Freedom, where the, the other part of this, this child trafficking exploitation uh, story uh, occurs and really kind of brings it to the point where you experienced what was going on and this is an important part of the whole, to get the full view of what's going on, your story is absolutely critical. So if you would, I'm gonna let you kinda wind us up and get the intro, lay the background for folks. What was it that puts you in a position where you had to blow the whistle about what's going on with unaccompanied children at the border? Sure, so Chris, if you can imagine, when I deployed for this mission, um, volunteered to help the administration with the border crisis, specifically to help place unaccompanied children with sponsors here in the United States. Now, when I saw the advertisement and the call that went out to all agency, you know, all federal employees, it said that this was a family reunification program. So my husband is from El Salvador, I'm a Spanish speaker, and I thought, wow, you know, most of the children are coming from Central America and I thought that I could help. And so I really wanted to help what I believed was to place children in loving homes. And that's very quickly what I discovered was not the case at all. 
And I mean, so, that is, it's a, you, you go into this with the very best of intentions. Oh, yes. And you're, you're a federal employee. You have a background professionally in the inspector general world. But you're, mm-hmm. you're coming at this as a volunteer to go into a program. And it's the most vulnerable, right? Little yes. ones. Yes. And, and that's who you're trying to help. You get on the ground. Where did you go? Where was your assignment? So my assignment was the Pomona Fairplex Emergency Intake Site in Pomona, California. And so I was there and in the beginning, you know, I got to just sit and chat with the kids in their pods and color and do puzzles and walk them to their medical appointments and escort them to lunch and take them to see their case manager. And it was a very short time on site when they put out an urgent call that they need people in case management. So case management is actually where the children are processed and then delivered to the sponsor. So I thought, wow, case management, that's a great place where I could work because, you know, thinking about efficiencies in a program, they were saying we want to reunite the kids quickly. And I thought, well, you know, with my background, I can help find efficiencies and, and move the children faster to be and, and, with and you, their family. And you, have, and you have Spanish language ability as well. Yes. Mi español no es perfecto, pero yo puedo hablar. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a big so, step up, and it, 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 it's helpful, particularly in this transition for these kids, right? They've got of to course. have, they're the, like I said, the most vulnerable. So, exactly. case management, which sounds like a great place to be, you get involved yes. in case management. What happens? So, what happens is, is the case manager will get a file, and the child will come in, and they will talk to the child and then talk to the sponsor. And the hope and the thought was that, you know, the child and the sponsor know each other and and you figure out what their relationship is. And then you document all of that and then actually purchase flights or bus tickets to actually send the child to the sponsor. And quickly we discovered that children did not know who they were going to and that the sponsors were not, their stories were not matching what the child was saying. And this was horrifying. This is like two weeks in, in case management. And I have case managers in crisis and children in crisis. I'm seeing children crying and in panic. We had a child early on who had to be put on suicide watch. Um, I've heard children screaming for their parents. I've, I've had to sit with case managers that they cried to tell me the horrific stories of what's happened to the children just on the journey here. You know, okay, we had so a little boy. Go no, ahead. I, I, pardon, pardon my interruption, because I just, I want to make this super clear for our viewers and our listeners. Um, these kids are unaccompanied, and they range in age from really little, little ones. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, up to teenagers is what we're talking about, essentially. Yes. And uh, and they're they are literally unaccompanied. They've been shuttled north by human traffickers, who are getting them into the United States one way or another. And they yes. come into custody. They come into custody, and they're in this in this center, and they've got a story that they're offering, saying. 
my uncle is going to take care of me and he lives in Seattle or wherever. And sponsors are contacting your center saying that they're supposedly the uncle from Seattle. Is this, is this how it's supposed to work? Yeah, well, we are actually taking the information that the children give. So right. whatever information they've come to the border with is the information that we use to contact the sponsor. So the sponsor doesn't even have to contact us. We're contacting them and saying, hey, we have this child. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's mine. And so that's how the process works. And the goal, if you can imagine, is to move these children in 10 to 14 days. So our site in less than six months processed 8,300 and a few children. So over 8,300 children in less than six months. Now, how much vetting of sponsors can go on when you're moving children that fast, that quickly? Zero, and I mean, that's, that's the answer. The answer is yes. zero, there's no vetting whatsoever. Yeah, and they're sending documents by WhatsApp, so they could send little, literally photographs of documents. And the thing that is most concerning, which also the person who represented ORR at the hearing, Mr. Carey, he admitted no one working in HHS on this program, on our site or around the sites is law enforcement. They're not investigators, so they're not 1811s or 1810s. They're not fraud examiners. Let's, so, let's pause. Let me, let me pause for a second for our, our viewers and listeners. You said ORR, oh, so office. not everybody that not everybody Sorry, knows yes. what that is. So, so <laughs> explain explain what ORR is and and who they belong to. Okay, so ORR is Office of Refugee Resettlement. And this program, the Unaccompanied Children Program or the UC program is one of many programs that Office of Refugee Resettlement has responsibility for. And, and, Office and, and, of and, they, and they belong to HHS. You might think, right. <laughs> yes. You might think it would belong to immigration or customs or it would belong to Border Patrol. No. It belongs to Health and Human Services. Yes. And so Health and Human Services has a responsibility for these children. And like mm -hmm. I said, some are very sophisticated 16-year-olds, but others are really little ones, four and five oh, sure. and six-year-old. Oh, and so, two, yeah. They have months old who come, who come yeah. across the border, not at our site. Um, I think the youngest one we had at our site was four, but we have, you know, we had older children at our site. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but but there are cases of real little ones that are oh definitely very. I mean, this is precious cargo and toddlers. Uh, so, yes. So the mm -hmm. the idea that they're being subjected to this is nightmarish. But nonetheless, ORR part of Health and Human Services is supposedly managing this process, yes. and the people that are the, the 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 managerial the supervisory staff. There's no law enforcement. There's nobody with an investigative background. There's nobody who can vet people or uh, act as a liaison with other agencies to make sure that the people who are representing themselves as sponsors are legit, are the actual people that they say they are. This is Correct. all best bet. This is all based on a on a, a handshake 
promise of, yeah, I'm the right person. Yeah, and what is absolutely stunning, is stunning, is that humanitarian parole that we're doing right now for adults, one requirement is that the sponsor of an adult must be either a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident. There is no requirement to be legal to sponsor a child. Over 90% of sponsors have no legal presence. This is, a, okay, this so, is insanity. This I is know. pure so, insanity. So let that sink in. Let that sink in. Then, for humanitarian parole for an adult, so today, if someone is trying to be the, a sponsor for an adult, they have to prove they have the financial means to care for the adult. There is no requirement for financial means to care for an unaccompanied child. Let that sink in. That makes no sense whatsoever. So are these sponsors who are getting these kids, are they paid a subsidy or a fee or does the government in some way, in other words, this is a nightmare scenario, but let's say you got yes. some real dirtball sponsor who says, mm -hmm. look, I get X number of dollars ahead. Yeah, I'll take 15 kids. Okay. Does well, that happen? Okay. So they would, that's exactly how it's happening, but the government is paying the flight for this trafficker or this criminal element or member of transnational criminal organizations. So remember, the thing that alerted me that we had high-level criminal actors involved in this was late August when I saw the DHS whistleblower, American hero, Aaron Stevenson, come forward and say, look, I have evidence of MS-13, 18th Street Gang, Russian Balkan crime syndicates sponsoring the children. And I'm sitting on the Pomona Fairplex knowing I've already put forward all these suspected trafficking cases starting in June was the very first one. I reported hotspots where we had apartment buildings with 20 children, 40 children. I reported places where we had over 300 children in a three square mile. That doesn't, that doesn't pass the common sense test. I saw sponsors who were sponsoring at different addresses. So they're trying to get kids from multiple sites. We had one sponsor, this was just stunning to me. He was trying to get one child from our site and then three children from the Pecos emergency intake site in Texas. So I've seen sponsors trying to simultaneously sponsor four children at once. And I've seen apartment buildings where, or an apartment just an A apartment, one apartment in an apartment building where you had multiple sponsors who had sponsored multiple kids. This just did not pass the common sense test. So I had been putting forward all of these cases, interestingly reporting to HHS, Office of Inspector General, reporting to Homeland Security Investigations. And I'd like to give a shout out to a lot of really great agents and um, people who were working the cases. And this, of course, was going up through the chain of command at HHS. But when I saw Aaron Stevenson's disclosure that there were members of transnational criminal organizations getting the kids, I quickly circulated that around the site. 
And it took us less than two weeks to find the first case of a confirmed MS-13 affiliated sponsor. And this sponsor was, a, was simultaneously sponsoring two children, one from our site and one from the Fort Bliss emergency intake site. And I thought, honestly, this has, this is unbelievable that we have now criminal networks here because see they back to your question about the money part when they now understand that the united states government is paying the ticket to get the child unlike your average person unlike you chris unlike me and many other people who volunteered to help what they thought was family reunification we view children as as precious and they children who are vulnerable who should be guarded and cared for these traffickers view children as assets they are commodities exactly. so when they find out that the united states government is going to put them on the on a plane and in the middle of the night without telling anyone without telling state attorney generals without telling state legislators or anybody we're going to be sending kids and paying the airfare to deliver the child the last mile they are collecting income earning assets they view the children as assets and they are collecting these assets to earn income through labor trafficking through sex trafficking and worse so, so the, i mean let's let, let, let's I, I need to get a a, a sense for you're smarter than the average bear, as the old Yogi commercial you said, cartoon used to say. So you're 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 coming into this, and you know you're looking at it a much sharper, much smarter way than the average person might. And you're making these quick connections between what's clearly a racket, and you do what you're supposed to do and report this through the chain of command, and then you're also communicating laterally to other interested parties, saying, hey, look, this looks really fishy. There's something going on here. There's people are exploiting the system. As, yeah. you, begin to, as you begin to do, do this, what does the immediate level of management, one or two levels above you, what's their response? What, what do they say to you? You know, shut up and keep going? I mean, what, what are their... What's their commentary or their reaction to your sounding the alarm? What do they do? Well, what is absolutely the most unbelievable and horrific thing was to hear from my direct supervisor that, Tara, we only get sued if we keep kids in care too long. We don't get sued by traffickers. Are you clear? We don't get sued by traffickers. And so that is the legal position of HHS because they don't get sued by traffickers and they're not legally responsible. They transfer custody of a vulnerable child to a sponsor. The sponsor then has custody of the child. It is unconscionable. They know this is going on. They've known it's been going on in the system for more than a decade. That is the other thing that was horrific, is that after we started finding these suspicious sponsors, remember, I had no idea when I volunteered for the mission that one child had ever been trafficked through the program. 
So it's after we're finding all these suspicious sponsors that one of the people on my team, who was another federal volunteer, she actually found the Senate hearings from 2016, which detailed how traffickers used the system in 2014 to bring these vulnerable children from Guatemala to work in slave labor conditions under the threat of themselves and their families on an egg farm in Marion, Ohio. Then Senator Rob Portman held hearings in 2016. You can read their whole report. And I'm sitting there reading through this report going, they know, they know. And, and, they, that, and they, it's clear that, that they knew for six, seven, eight years they knew. I mean, yes. documented they knew. Yes. Yeah. It was so, a horrible revelation, a horrible so, revelation to realize I was on the wrong side. So, I mean, this, I mean, this is really jarringly disturbing yes. information. Not just the information, the information you've given is, is astounding. But what you just revealed that they knew six, seven, eight years ago, and they had a hearing, hooray, you had a hearing. What did you do about it? And the answer yeah. is nothing. In fact, they improved the process to move more is what they've done. They made it yeah. even worse. Yeah. Now let me ask they, you, on, on the back end of this, what you've described, we're gonna do a little more detail, but what you've described happens, the child is given to somebody, I'm, I'm hoping that somewhere in the story, there are some good, legit sponsors. There's there gotta are. be some. There there's are some. some. There's some legit ones. But <laughs> in this case, you've got these criminal dirtballs who are sponsors. Is, on the back end, is there any, you talked about casework and placing the children. Is there any casework on the back end? Is anybody going and checking on the children once they've been placed with a sponsor? Well, if you're aware, right, in, since 2021, the United States government through HHS has taken in over 300,000 children. Today, we know they cannot make contact with over 85,000 children. A third of the children disappeared. Now, this is why I told Congress you know, during my testimony, I said the number one thing that you could do is require HHS to turn the data over to the inspector general community. There are data analysts in the IG community who could quickly look at the data and see where the anomalies are and know who to go after. But see, they don't want anyone going after their sponsors. They, that, um, they do not, they value the um, anonymity of the sponsor more than they value the safety of the children. That's this is some of the fact. most, this is some of the most sick, perverse stuff I've heard. I've been at Judicial Watch for 24 years. I've seen a lot of weird, sick, disgusting things. This is a story that is up at the, like the top two or three ever and yeah. the other stories believe me you don't even want to know about but this is a case that uh, when you lose when 80 some thousand 85 thousand 
kids fall off the radar screen. You have no idea where they are, who has custody of them, where they're living. Uh, I mean, how, how do these people live with themselves? How do they get up in the morning and look in the mirror and know, yeah. knowing what they've done? It isn't like they, they, they made it, they didn't know, they made a mistake, no one told me. They know what they're doing every single morning when they get up and go to work. So you had enough guts to blow the whistle. You had enough guts to do the right thing and inform people and say, hey, this is wrong, knock it off. But there's people that you've just described, they're fine with this. They don't care. This is what they do for a living. They, they send kids off to disappear. Yeah, well, that is the problem with people who don't understand the consequence of their policy of having certain performance measures. So one of the other things I told Congress was they absolutely need to change their performance measure of speed. Why, why do we need to move a child in 10 to 14 days? That doesn't make any sense. Anyone who's been involved in foster care, adoption, international adoption, these processes can take a year or more. Why? Because they're making sure that the home where the child is going is safe. They're making sure that the people are really who they say they are. Right. So 10 to 14 days in the same time period, what's been very strange is in interestingly, international adoptions have dropped. Well, I wonder why, when anybody can just get a kid in 10 to 14 days. It just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And so the other thing is, is that when there is a culture of fear, everyone was scared that even when we reported the first case in June, we didn't say it was trafficking because we didn't know how rampant trafficking was in the system. We called it suspicious sponsor. And people were like, if we turn this in, we could get sent home. You know, we could get fired. You know, the case managers, one of my case managers ended up in the hospital for stress. So people were scared that they were gonna be retaliated against. And I said, I said, here's what's gonna happen. I said, the day I get walked, I'm gonna keep speaking the truth. I said, and you'll know that the day that I get walked off the site, it's because of child trafficking. And I was not, I was not going to shut up, but they were, HHS was retaliating against a lot of people. They moved people out of jobs, people, uh, someone at HHS leaked Secretary Becerra stating that if, you know, if Ford was alive today, he wouldn't be happy with the speed of this company. And so saying things like that, that the people moving the children had fears the MVM, the transportation company, remember we were hearing about all those midnight flights and the cover right, of darkness. Right. Yeah. yeah, well, MVM, the, they had a whistleblower come forward. MVM was the transportation company and they had a whistleblower come forward saying the kids often said that they didn't know who they were going to. And so this, you know, there were so many people along the way who were trying to tell the truth but their goal was to silence and censor. So when it, you know, it took me just four months of speaking out for them to say, okay, we, we can't, we can no longer have Tara Rodas looking at cases. We just, we have got to get her off this site. Now, fortunately, 
because I knew the severity of these types of allegations and the the horrible peril and crisis that we were putting children in. I was fortunate enough that I had gone outside of chain of command and had been started reporting outside chain of command. So even though I was reporting up chain of command, I also started going outside chain of command because I knew that the day I got walked off the site, it was going to be because of child trafficking. And that's exactly that's exactly what happened. The MS-13 case was just too much. Once I figured out we had high level criminal operators, I started trying to get as much information from the kids about tell me about your journey, who was involved. And so this, interestingly, for those of your listeners who saw or are going to see Sound of Freedom, what was stunning for me to learn is that women are often involved. And in the case of Sound of Freedom, they took down Miss Cartagena because she was the one who was getting the children. So my MS-13 operator in Ohio was a female The coyote or the smuggler who brought the children, 22 children were brought. She was female and was going to be going also to Ohio. I got my case manager because we were not supposed to ask who else is in the household. I said, look, I said, we need to get every bit of information that we can. I said, so just ask her, just ask her if by some chance something happens with her status, who could take care of the kids? So she sends us the idea of a household member who just happens to be from Sinaloa. Now, I can't say that there's, maybe there's nothing wrong there. Maybe our MS-13 actor, maybe she's a great person. Maybe the person, her household member from Sinaloa has absolutely no contact with, you know, gangs or cartels. Maybe, but maybe not. But see, my job is to report the facts. Right. Right. So I'm going to ask you a question you may not like to answer, but I have to ask it because it's uh, it's built in. It's built into me. Who are the U.S. government officials most responsible for this? Who's sitting at the Pomona Fairplex who somebody should walk over to with a microphone and a camera and stick it in their face and ask them why they're trafficking children? Well, first, I think we should start with Secretary Becerra because he was in charge of all the emergency intake sites, and he's ultimately the one responsible for HHS and a program that he has lost control of. So we should be clear, HHS has lost control of the UC program, period, end of story. That's Secretary Who's the head of ORR? So Secretary Becerra, I get that, but who's the ORR head? Okay. I forget her name. She recently testified and could give no response to where are the 85,000 children. Uh, and I cannot remember her name off the top of my head. But yes, she would also be uh, responsible, obviously. I mean, th- th- there's a person who, who must have what I refer to as guilty knowledge. You know, either they should have known, uh, you know, they're, they're either complicit or they're negligent. One or the other. Either they know what's going on and they're in the middle of it and they just don't give a damn, or they're so out to lunch, they're so disconnected, all they're doing is you know showing up and having a latte in the morning and then taking off the afternoon, and they're completely uninvolved and they're negligent. But it's one or the other, because you can't have it both ways. Exactly. And 
when we're talking about vulnerable children, okay, the New York Times is reporting. I have to give a shout out to Hannah Dreyer at the New York Times. She has interviewed the children. She has shared the plight of the children, children who have been killed here in their first months of being in the United States because they're not qualified to do their jobs. She has talked about middle schoolers working in slaughterhouses all across the country. She wrote a damning expose called Alone and Exploited. And she wrote another one that said that the administration ignored all warnings. Now, all of this has come to light and yet nothing still has been done. And this is what is makes me nuts, concerning. right? This yeah. is what makes me nuts right there. Mm -hmm. You've gone through and laid this all out for a committee of the House. There's been testimony, frankly, six, seven years ago, essentially saying the same thing, but now it's even worse. The OLR chief will figure out what her name is and we'll do a follow up with that. She testifies, but Sarah's sending out vague threats to the staff to hurry up and move kids. Uh, there's a whistleblower uh, that, uh, that came forward from DHS. There's, there's stories being told in pieces consistently. And I mean, as shocking as it is, no one really seems to give a damn. I mean, yeah, I, there's, I, there, there, there's no march in front of the Capitol. There's no protests. There's nobody uh, painting mottos uh, on, on streets in the United States. The people that are supposed to be so compassionate and caring for, yes. for letting, you know, uh, undocumented migrants or illegal aliens, all the people that are supposed to be bleeding hearts for compassion, you don't hear a peep out of these phonies. Not a word. No. no. And that is what is stunning to me, is that you have people, Aaron Stevenson, the DHS whistleblower, was fired for coming forward with his disclosure. But his disclosure led to me uncovering the exact same thing, which led to me reporting it, it being walked off the site, okay, with security and the federal field specialist telling me I'm going to be investigated and they took my badge. My agency told, they were so concerned for my safety, they, and I didn't think that anybody would do anything to me on the site, but I mean, you never know, right? They were gonna send armed agents to escort me back to DC. Now my husband escorted me back to DC, um, but this is, I can't believe this is not front page news. I thought for sure especially after Project Veritas and James O'Keefe went knocking on doors and showed the children telling their stories of being right. pimped out by their sponsors or, or having to quit school to pay their debt to the cartel or the little girl who was like four or five and she is living in a one-room apartment with four other men. And this is what they found as they were knocking on all these doors a small child with all these adult men and yet nothing is done. I just, it defies belief that every single newspaper and every single media outlet is not demanding to know where are the children? Where are the children? This is, 
this is very concerning that, you know, where is the heart of America? This is not a Democrat issue or a Republican issue. This is a humanitarian issue. If we are going to try to stand up and say, hey, we are the torch of freedom, send everybody here. Well, what happens to them when they get here? It's slave labor, sex trafficking, labor trafficking, worse. The smugglers in El Salvador told some pretty terrible tales. So this you know, is- I, I, I'm, I'm, used to, I'm used to all the usual corruption of Washington, D.C. You know, sort of the Hunter Biden flavor of, you know, uh, deals and drugs and sex and all the other kind of, that's the, that's the run of the mill Washington, D.C. sort of, you know, staple diet. But what you're talking, talking about is on a completely different level. Yes. These are, these are kids. These are yes. kids who yes. never did a thing to anybody ever. And you can question the, the sanity or the judgment of whatever adults sent them north because you're sending them I- into the clutches of real criminal animals. So yes. you know, they may think, oh, we're going to send the little one north because he'll have a better life, whatever. They're, they're, they're sending them on a one-way trip to hell is what they're doing. Yes, and then, and, mm-hmm. and then the, the animals on this end who are waiting to get them in their clutches, and in the middle, as you've pointed out perfectly, is a, a vast, elaborate federal government uh, process, an engine yes. that is churning, churning along, doing placement. Yes. They're taking these kids and putting them in the hands. Not every single one of them is a criminal. I'm not trying to overstate it. But to the point where 85,000 disappear. Yeah. So, here's, so you, you, you so, uh, uh, let, let me just, uh, you go ahead. I, I want to hear you. Yeah. I want to hear you. So point. I was just going to say, you know, people need to rethink. One, they should see Sound of Freedom to see how this happens. But they should really rethink what compassion looks like. Because right. let's just take most of the children are coming to us from Guatemala. Some of the children who I saw with my own eyes and sat in as the case manager interviewed with an interpreter because some of these children cannot even speak Spanish. Right, they've got their own dialect. Right, they're they're speaking Mayan dialects, Quiche and Mom and other things. So they can't speak Spanish. They can't ask for help in Spanish. They can't ask for help in English. Some of these children have never been to school they can't read, they can't write. They are a victim population. They were fine in Guatemala working on the farm with their family. Everybody should go to YouTube and put in trafficked in America and they will see exactly how that Marion Egg Farm case happened. How they lured the children, how the trafficker had them working in these slave labor conditions. It's going on and it's worse today. These children were not raped in their hometowns, but when they started this journey, the stories are absolutely beyond belief of of the things that I've heard. Like, I couldn't even imagine that somebody would do this to a small child. We had a little boy from Guatemala who was only eight, and I sat across with the case manager as she cried to tell me, she says, Tara, what kind of a person could do this? 
The child who I am working with right now, he's only eight and he's in diapers because he's been raped so much. And I'm, I'm trying to, right now it makes the hair stand up on my arm. We do not understand the level of evil that some people possess. You know, they are really, they do not care about these children. The U.S. government, we better care about the children. And this is absolutely unacceptable. It's unacceptable that billions of taxpayer dollars, billions, anyone can go on to the HHS website. So usaspending.gov. So I, I recommend everybody do this. Follow the money, follow the money. usaspending.gov. HHS is a $2.8 trillion agency with a T, trillion. They have put billions of dollars into the unaccompanied children program, which is the middleman, which is the um, airline, you know, the delivery system for this program, taking children in and flying them out to unvetted sponsors and losing them. Um, this is absolutely unacceptable, but your tax dollars and my tax dollars are paying to put children in modern day slavery. America is better than that. We must stand up and we must say, this must stop. This must stop. You, you, you very bravely uh, and in a very com compelling articulate way provided testimony back at the end of April, April 26th, you were in front of the House Judiciary Subcommittee. Um, two questions. Number one, how did you get there? How did you end up in front of the committee? Uh, let's, let's do that one first. How did, well, what was the path? You, you get walked off the job site mm -hmm. for telling the truth. They have to shut you up. Mm -hmm. uh, but th thankfully, you had already started your efforts. Right. But then right. how do you so go then, from there to in front of the committee? Right. So after that, it was a lot of, you know, I, I sat down with with agents. I gave um, recorded testimony. You know, I, I told about a lot of the things that I had witnessed. I was able to talk to attorney generals of various states, you know, people who were trying to make a difference. And uh, when I wasn't I mean, everybody was doing everything within their power that they could. Right. The challenge is there must be awareness amongst the American people. If people don't know what's happening, then they can't stay up, stand up and say, hey, we need to stop this. So when I didn't start seeing front page news, like 25 children rescued from sex trafficking operation in Houston, um, you know, when I wasn't seeing headlines like that quickly, that's when I right. decided to go to Project Veritas, right? And once Project Veritas's story went out and they realized, um, you know, that I actually had been sitting on the site, that I had been processing the cases, that I had reported through every chain of command, and that because of my reporting through every chain of command, I was swiftly and strongly retaliated against under threat of investigation, That that's what caught the attention of some people on Capitol Hill. So that's when um, they, some of the congressmen actually wrote a letter to Becerra to ask him to answer these allegations. None of that ever happened, um, but people were starting to work behind the scenes to say, wait a minute, is 
you know, is this really happening? Did they really strip out all of the background checks? You know, have they really put in all this field guidance? And when they realized that they had, they, you know, I, somebody reached out to me from House Judiciary and said, would you be willing to testify to what you saw? And of course, um, speaking the truth and shining a light on government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded child trafficking is important. And I'm, I'm very honored that I had the privilege to speak the truth because it's the only way that people are gonna be able to fix this problem. Well, thank God for you, Tara. Let me tell you, I mean that well, from the bottom of my heart. Thank God for you. You're a brave and good woman and you did the right thing and you faced a lot of creeps and a lot of selfish, self-centered, cowardly bureaucrats and you stood up to them and you did the right thing. You did the honorable, good thing to protect these kids and to do the very best you could. So, yeah. Well, well Chris, done. before, well before done. you put and, me, before no, you put I mean, me too these high are on just, <laughs> these are just facts for based on what your your testimony is. I mean, yeah. Uh, well. So here, but here's here's the unpleasant part of the question. This is part two. So who's going to do something about this? Well, that is a question that we should be asking every federal representative. That we should be asking our state representatives too, because. How is it that the federal government is bypassing all state, um, like knowledge checks and awareness? So, for example, if the when I was on the Pomona Fairplex, as we were sending children all over the United States to all different states, why were not all of the names of the sponsors given? so that the sponsors had to report in, so that the sponsors put the children in school, right? All of these things, these could be checks and balances in the system because the sponsors being held accountable. So there's there are things that need to be done. Now, if I had my way, HHS would not release one more child, period, stop until they can figure out a system, and it probably shouldn't even be under health and human services because they don't have investigators, they don't have people who know about fraud. We right. need people who can vet these sponsors and right. have you a need same people system. That, that people that would call up, I mean, look, the case manager could call up a county sheriff and say, hey, we're thinking about placing a kid with so-and-so and have the local county sheriff run a quick criminal check, and they could come back and tell you more, you know, then it doesn't have to be very sophisticated. I mean, basic, basic checks, just to have some sense of, you know, if you call the county sheriff's office and the, the person that you're checking on is known to the police, guess what, that's a disqualifier, you know? Surprise, yeah, surprise. You would think. This is not very, this is not very sophisticated stuff. And the fact yeah. that there's no effort being done to do this. Well, it's very sad because another thing I've learned is I'm not the only whistleblower who's come forward over the years. There was another brave whistleblower who used to work for Homeland Security Investigations back in 2015. He came forward to Senator Grassley 
and said, look, because he was part of, he worked as part of the human smuggling cell. Uh, his name is Jason Piccolo. And he said his life changed when he realized that we were giving kids to criminals. And he wrote a book about it. Um, we are, because we're not requiring that the individuals who are the sponsors to have legal presence and because they're not accountable to anyone and HHS is not requiring them to report into anyone, there's no case manager who could call a sheriff and say, hey, tell me about so-and-so because so-and-so doesn't exist in any system. They're not even here legally. Right. So over 90% of the sponsors, so there is no way to do there's, proper right. vetting. There's, there's, no, there's, no check that, there's no check that could ever be done. Exactly. So that doesn't make sense when we should hold the sponsor accountable. There's no right. Sorry, the Bill of Rights does not say you have the right to come into the United States illegally and then be the sponsor of unaccompanied children. No, 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 there is no right to be a sponsor. There's no right. And so why we're acting as if there is and putting vulnerable children in, in harm's way is astounding. And it was a terrible revelation. That's all I can say. It was a terrible revelation to realize they knew. They knew I want, the children were I want to do, through the program. I want to do two things. I want to get your input on where our viewers and listeners can get more information. I want them to be informed and educated. And then secondly, I want to know what your recommendation is on a call to action. Anybody who's heard this or viewed this, anybody who then goes out and sees Sound of Freedom or is, is interested in the, in the plight of human trafficking and the exploitation of children in particular, there's got to be a call to action where, where people can do something. So those two yes. things, if you could give us an idea on education and information and then mm -hmm. call to action, what, what, do you, uh, what do you recommend? Okay, so for education and information, um, the beginning is understanding that it exists and awareness. So that's why I say Sound of Freedom is very powerful because it shows you exactly how it happens. Nobody would say that drug trafficking is a conspiracy, but when you don't understand how it happens, people can start to think, well, I can't imagine how it could happen, therefore it must not be true. So that's why I think seeing the sound of freedom and seeing exactly how people manipulate both children and parents, then they can see how the trafficking occurs. So that's number one, is awareness. Make sure that you're aware and then tell your friends, right? Tell all your friends. I've told everyone, I've taken people to see the movie. I'm like, you have to see the movie. You have to understand how it works because this is a real live case. Um, I'm sure a lot of your viewers probably saw the movie Taken with Liam Neeson. Right. What's so interesting is that that movie Everybody loved the movie. All the press about the movie was fantastic and positive because people know that sex trafficking of children happens. But Liam Neeson's movie was fantasy. That wasn't real children. Now, those were stories that I'm sure could have happened like that. But Sound of Freedom, these are real children that this happened to. 
So awareness, awareness. Then other, the next thing I would say is figure out in your local community who's involved with anti-sex trafficking things. So America's Future. America's Future trains people on things that you can look for. There are organizations like Operation Underground Railroad, A21, which is Christine Kane's. Um, she has a global organization that fights human trafficking. There's the International Justice Mi Mission, so IJM. So people can look at various trafficking organizations to kind of get more information. So, and they will help you to identify what are some of the indicators that a child is being trafficked. If anybody has been on 10 flights in the United States, there's a very good possibility that you were on a plane with a child that was being trafficked, but you didn't know because you didn't know what to look for. So there That's are horrific. things that if people just know what to look for, then you can raise a flag to someone. So getting that awareness and then finding an organization that you feel fits for you and understanding what some of the indicators are, then that will go a long way. And then as far as a call to action, I think we need to call our federal and state representatives and say, where are the children? Where are the children? Yesterday, the Washington Times, so I live in Virginia, and the Washington Times talked about how HHS has released children with tuberculosis through the unaccompanied children program because they don't have enough time to give them treatment. But the problem with treating the children is once they get to the state, well, how can they even follow up with them? So there are serious questions that states need to be asking or that we can be asking our state legislators like, hello, what's going on in the state? Where are these children? What other things do we need to be concerned about? Because these are very serious illnesses that can be passed. And we also want to care for these children who've come here. So there's, there's some Congress and our state legislators need to be held accountable for the safety of children. Just like if there were children in your school system and there was a major problem, you could go to federal and state representatives and say, hey, what's going on? We need to do that now. 85,000 children are missing. Children are working night shifts in slaughterhouses. Children are being sold for sex. This is a crisis. We have to stand up for the kids. We must stand up for these children. You are 100% correct. I thank you for your time, for your very compelling story, for your testimony to Congress. I just, uh, I'm heartened that the information becomes public and that there's increased awareness. Uh, but I, I, characters like Becerra, whoever this ORR chief is, I'll figure out what her name is, that they can walk around, look at themselves in the mirror every day, knowing that they're 
They are creating the conditions and subsidizing the activities yes. that cause this kind of abuse of children. Yes. And, uh, and, they, and they can't ever get away from it. I don't care how many times they apologize or say they didn't know or they weren't aware or they didn't mean it or they didn't understand the consequences. This is on them. It's on them forever. Yes. They cannot allow this kind of stuff to happen and then go off to their Washington, D.C. cocktail party or their Democratic National Committee fundraiser, uh, you know, uh, soiree that they're... These people, they literally have blood on their hands. And uh, you can't do this to little kids. And no. uh, I want, again, I, I thank you for your time. Um, literally, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. God bless you and all that you've done. And uh, uh, before I close, close, I'll just give you the last word uh, to, to wrap us up here. Sure, Chris. I just want to really thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share the plight of the children and to you know, shine a light on what we know is government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded child trafficking. And I also wanna say, before anybody puts me up on a pedestal, I think it's important for people to know, I'm not ashamed to say I've cried a lot of tears. This has been a heavy weight and a burden uh, to carry, but you know, God is faithful and whatever he calls us to, he gives us the power to do. And so that's, you know, I've been carried along and uh, I really appreciate your kind words, but I think it's important for people to know that there were days I was scared, you know, I was shaking and uh, it was, it was a challenging road to walk, but I've seen, I've seen the children, you know, I, I've looked into their faces. And so I know that one voice can make a difference. And so together, I do believe that we can move the needle on this. I think we can make a difference. And if we act now, we can save lives. So I'm calling on your listeners to, to take action and uh, let's go save these kids. Tara Lee Rodas, thank you very much for your time and for your very compelling and important story about this outrageous abuse of children uh, at the hands of the United States government. We appreciate all of your efforts and uh, hopefully we'll be back in touch again with, a, with, with better news on this front sometime in the future. Definitely. I'm Chris Farrell on Watch. Thanks for listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.